You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Welcome, welcome, everybody. This is episode 42. We're your hosts. I'm Trevor. I'm Christo. And together, we're Cards and Cubes. <laughs> How's it going, Christo? Oh, it's fine. That's about it. That's all I have <laughs> Just to say. Just fine. Well, that's the show, everybody. Yep. Thanks for dropping by. <laughs> well, in today's show, we've got uh, some pretty fun stuff lined up. It's going to change your world. We're going to start off with uh, the traditional Does Risto Get to Stay on the Podcast trivia. Hmm. Then we're going to talk about some games we've been playing lately. Our topic for today is Keep or Cull, where we're going to go through our thought processes of how we buy games, do we keep games, do we sell games. And then we'll uh, wrap up by talking about some games that are on our horizon. So, Haristo, you're still on the show. You've been doing pretty <laughs> well at trivia. Let's see if we can keep the uh, the streak up. This week, we're going to look at the top 10 rated games, or not rated games, the top 10 wish-listed games on, according to Board Game Geek. So these are games that people have selected on the Board Game Geek database as wanting to own them. And we will just include only the top 10. And I think given... I think you probably would do pretty well with this one. So let's see if you can guess four out of the ten. Uh, well, the funny thing is I was instantly thinking about Gloomhaven because always Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven is on all the lists, even though everyone <laughs> has Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven is probably also very wished for. Just guessing. Correct. Is it that, is number three. That's hilarious. I think uh, this, is, this is the law of Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven is on every single list, no matter what. And actually, another game which I would guess is on lists because not necessarily... Well, it's a good game, but because it's uh, out of print is Blood Rage. That's just a guess. It Um, is not. Strike one. What? Well, that's actually very unfortunate because I thought that was a given. Because, uh, yeah, I think supposedly it's out of print and especially the exclusives are out of print, but apparently not very fashionable. Uh, confusing, yeah, I'm curious actually. if the game is actually out of print because I know it was really hard to get for a little while, but then I I have seen it on a shelf here and there, so maybe there's just like old copies hanging around. But yeah, you're Gosh. right; it is a really popular game. That's really crazy, actually. That's extremely surprising to me. Um, I'm gonna guess just Brass because I think it's had some print run issues and people want it, and it's a really good game. The reprint of Brass. Hopefully, that's on the list. It is on the page but it's not in the top 10 no (laughs) that's actually really difficult because i thought uh, it was gonna be games like blood rage and brass were gonna be on there i'll I'll give you a larger games i mean it can be like splendor or something i'm guessing everyone who wants splendor has splendor or something or you know what i mean like seven wonders the games on the top 10 uh, actually, what about GMT games that are out of print? Like uh, 1960, actually, I was looking at recently got a reprint, but uh, 
I don't know. Those games are not really popular, though. That's that's the downside of GMT games. But are there any like GMT games on the list, like uh, Fire in the Lake, uh, Hands in the Sea, or something that are long out of print? I'm thinking of out of print games. Uh, I think this list is gonna make you angry. <laughs> hmm. No, none of the none of the stuff like that. I think every game I'm looking at on this list. Um, I don't think they're out of print, any of them. But uh, yeah, there are no Simon games on the top ten. Interesting enough, I guess everybody who wants a Simon game gets the Simon game. Maybe like the other thing could be the latest hotness, like Dune, Imperium, and Lost Ruins of Arnak or something. Is that a thing? There actually is a latest hotness. Um, oh, actually. Just to go back, Blood Rage is on Nemesis? the page, but it's not in the top 10. Nemesis, uh, lots of miniature games, which again are about to come out, kind of. Nemesis is kind of coming out. It's come out, but expansions are coming out for it. Is that on, on the list? Uh, no. <laughs> what the this, heck? Is kind of, this is kind of maybe an obscure one. I'll, I'll give you, I'll sh- just to give you a hint of kind of what's on this list, number 10 is Robinson Crusoe. Apparently, what? apparently, eleven thousand two hundred sixteen people have put that on their wish list. But that game is on clearance like all the time. I feel I don't <laughs> know. I haven't really been keeping track of Robinson Crusoe, but I feel like definitely a game that's like in the stores. Like I don't know if is it rare nowadays. Yeah, I guess there's uh, maybe you know having it on your wish list isn't necessarily I want it and can't get it. It's just like I want it, but I don't want to buy it. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> is that what the list ended yeah. up being? Well, is like I mean, there is a that game are like on the edge of I want to maybe play it again, but I don't want to buy it. So I hope someday yeah. I, I, I muster the the uh, enthusiasm to buy it or something. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like a weird not mix. quite good games, but just like <laughs> just almost no, there. There are some games on here that you know are. If you think about new hotness, there's a couple on here that are pretty new games and they have really high demand and then they're hard to get because they sell out quickly. Um, You know, like Wingspan is on this list. What the heck? That's crazy. I I thought Wingspan didn't have any like supply issues. Basically, again, uh, whoever wants to have it should basically have it. Yeah, but I mean that game sold so many copies. But I I do notice like every couple of months, sometimes Wingspan will kind of sell out, but then it is quickly back in stock. Another game similar to ha- that is Everdell, which um, depending on where you are, is is kind of hard to get, um, just because between print runs. Yeah, kind of another surprise. I wouldn't expect those to be on there, to be honest. So I'll just go down the list. Um, so that uh, so that we don't have to kick you off the show. <laughs> so number yeah, I was gonna say basically uh, I'm out of the show because definitely not the list I expected from there. Yeah, I expect a lot of kind of like rare games, out of print games, uh, which are desirable, like Blood Rage for sure. Are you kidding me? But it's not even a top ten. So yeah, Blood Rage weird. is like number fourteen on the list. Maybe so. it's like so rare that people aren't even getting it's not even getting played anymore it's like i don't know people who have it they're just keeping it on their shelves and just like not playing it so people are not seeing it maybe that's what's happening i don't know yeah well that's what's happening with my copy (laughs) (laughs) 
I I do have it, but it's not getting yeah. played. Uh, so I'll just go down the list, and um, this is just based on the number of people on BGG who have put this on their wish list. Number ten is Robinson Crusoe with eleven thousand two hundred sixteen. Number nine, you skimmed over this one. Seven Wonders. Oh <laughs> with my gosh, eleven thousand five hundred nineteen. That game's been out for 10 years and definitely is not rare at yeah. all. You can buy it like today. So it's like number nine. People should just like buy it if they want it so badly. That's crazy. Yeah. So, and it, yeah, and they got like, you know, the new edition, but I guess, you know, it's just a game that a lot um, of people want, I guess. Maybe it's because of the new edition, but that's just weird. Or maybe people who bought it like never removed it from their, their list. That's possible. Right. As well. Yeah. And full disclaimer, like that those kind of stats can can easily show up on BGG where people just kind of put something and then never update. Um, number eight is Everdell with 12,238. Number seven is Terra Mystica with 12,315. That game actually is somewhat hard to find depending on where you're looking. What? Um, That's you can, crazy. You can find it, and I do see it in stores, but I, I have noticed... Um, back before I have got a copy, I noticed that you know if you go to where a lot of people might think like Amazon, sometimes it's not in stock there, and so it, you know maybe it's kind of hard to get depending on where you are. Um, then number, let's see, we did seven. Number six would be Wingspan with twelve thousand seven hundred sixty-four. Number five is Root. Azul. Maybe <laughs> that'd be really, really <laughs> no, ridiculous Az if Azul is on there because it's not only available, it's also cheap. And so there's like three <laughs> different versions of it. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, Root is in fifth place with 12,962. Number four is Spirit Island, 13,779. Hmm. Three is Gloomhaven with just over 16,000. Number two, and I don't understand this one, is Terraforming Mars with... Uh, <laughs> Almost eighteen thousand because like you can find this game anywhere yep. and for cheap too. Yeah, this <laughs> so, list is just BS. Uh, and then uh, I, I object. Yeah, number one is Scythe with oh, okay. nearly eighteen thousand. Well, I kind of have a suspicion. <laughs> I kind of have a suspicion that these stats are just kind of like left remnants of when these games first came out and were super popular. Yeah, I, so, I really feel it's like people who probably bought it or like kind of don't really want to buy it anymore, but like, oh, I like this game or something. So like yeah. someday I'll buy it for 10 bucks, which it will never happen. So I'm guessing it's just leftovers from, yeah, like you say, when the games used to be super hot or something. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and rename this list as top 10 uh, historical FOMO games. Yeah. <laughs> some of them are that's what i was expecting though is fomo like blood rage but it's not even fomo it's just like you can buy this game today it's just um kind of on your yeah, wish I'm actually, list i'm actually curious i'm gonna just scroll through this list and i'm gonna name out a couple of games that might be might actually be hard to get let's see mage knight is on here uh, uh they've got an ultimate edition recently i've actually uh, been looking at that game for a long time um, so the old edition is probably people are dumping it and there's an ultimate edition which yeah anyway gotcha uh star wars rebellion is on here great western trails on here i know that that has been hard to find for some people Weird. uh stone age your favorite 
uh, Lords of Waterdeep is on here, interestingly. Yeah. I actually don't know if that's out of print. I know it's a lo- an older game for sure. Nemesis is on the list. It's just kind of further down. Uh, Mechs versus Minions, that makes sense, right? Because it's really hard to find. Interesting. Okay. Oh my gosh, Patchwork is on here. All right, I veto this list. This list is dead. Yeah, Patchwork. <laughs> yeah, that's almost like a Zul, but probably worse, actually, because, yeah, again, there's also all sorts of it. Well, two editions, I think, of Patchwork, at least. Um, anyway. All right, well, I'll, I'll kick myself off the podcast for bringing in a faulty list. B- bad trivia. <laughs> yep. All right, uh, let's go on to games played. I guess I can start. Uh, we actually uh, played some card games a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I like card games quite a bit. Uh, some of them silly, some of them kind of more complicated. But uh, these were kind of in the vein of uh, basically trick-taking games, uh, which me and I and Brandon enjoy a lot. So anyway, on Thursday, we kind of have a day where we actually ended end up playing a lot of card games because they're kind of lighter on rules and just kind of during the week um, easier to play, maybe. So we played Custom Heroes, which is apparently big in Japan. Ha! Uh, big in Japan is uh, this like idea that the AEG had to make a line of games, which were like uh they had like this whole intro paragraph in the rule book about like inspired by japanese themes or something and whatever so i don't know how well that's working out i looked at it and it has like three games uh unicornus knights which i know nothing about and something which i forgot i didn't even make a list of what it is but anyway you can look it up um Super actually, memorable. Pulling it up right now oh yeah smash up because that's really big in japan i guess there's uh, some expansion with like godzilla and Power Rangers or whatever. I don't know what the heck it looks like. Uh, yeah, Kaiju uh, Mega Troopers, actually, apparently, is anyway um not sure about the theme of this game because the theme is kind of secondary to what the game is, and the game is kind of a climbing game, actually, or um they call it like ladder climbing sometimes. I feel like it should just be called climbing. Basically, it's a type of game where you play. If you haven't played any of them, you should probably try one. I don't know if this is the one, but a bunch of cards with numbers, um, and you can play multiple cards, actually. And then the next person is supposed to play variations on different games that allow different things, but generally the same amount of cards. So maybe you like you play like two or three cards uh, of the same number or higher. Uh, so basically, it kind of goes like higher and higher until you just can't play anymore uh usually the objective in these kind of games is to get rid of your cards first uh this one had a few twists on it but actually it it didn't have twists it was get rid of your cards first uh the twist on this one is uh card crafting system so kind of like the mystic veil system actually by the same designer um is custom heroes is by the same designer as mystic veil uh it also had an intro in the paragraph i think it came out after mystic veil so similar system of basically you're kind of sleeving cards uh throughout the game uh which powers up the cards it changes their numbers so that can actually make you kind of help uh make you uh, help help you make sets of cards which are larger than your kind of dealt out hand so for example you're holding like 
two to five and you have like a sleeve which is minus three so the five turns into a two so you can play three twos uh, which is all what the climbing games are all about um they're kind of using it as a catch-up mechanic um if you get last place you get a lot of sleeves basically if you go out last uh, so you like clear out your hand last you get a lot of sleeves and you um, it's kind of used as a catch-up mechanic um, overall, the game was actually fine. Um, I was just kind of thinking about it after that. For some reason, uh, the game doesn't like kind of hit as hard as it should or something. Um, actually, Trevor played it. I guess, what are your impressions before I kind of go into opinions about the game? Just kind of comments. Yeah. Um, so I guess I, I just a full disclaimer, I'm not the biggest fan of climbing games in general. And that was kind of pronounced in this one where, um, you know, you have to play the same number of cards at equal or higher value as the person before you. And for some reason in this game, it just felt like very frequently you were passing on your turn. So I remember one round where I basically passed and passed and passed until everybody else had gone out and then I was able to play all my cards and that just kind of depends on uh, the cards you're dealt at the beginning of the round. So that kind of felt weird um, and, and that was kind of just the detriment of the game for me, but that is just a factor of being a climbing game. So if you like climbing games, that's not going uh, to hurt your opinion of the game. Uh, what I liked about the game uh, was the card crafting system because I, I actually liked Mystic Veil. Vale. Mystic Veil vale was maybe a little bland and themeless, um, but it brought in this card crafting system where you can add these clear uh, films into the sleeves over the cards and add abilities to cards and, and things like that. Um, now, what was strange about this one, in my opinion, was not only were the um, the card crafting components randomly dealt to you, um, meaning you just kind of pull a piece of plastic out of a bag, and that's one of the things that you can choose to add to a card, but then you also lose the cards that you're crafting. So you're effectively crafting cards for for likely other people which was which was kind of strange because what i well, really you get you get one usage of them and i guess right. that's that they don't want to want to let you like keep them because the game is such that you, you kind of play tricks so to speak yeah so yeah you do get first usage of them which is i guess the benefit but yeah they get reshuffled afterwards in the deck yeah, and so it could come back to you. It might go to someone else. So does that change your calculation of, oh, I don't want to make a card that's too good because then it might come back and ruin me later? I don't know that that's necessarily the case because I don't think the game's that long or it's that type of game. Um, that was just kind of interesting to me because my experience previously with card crafting in Mystic Veil was I'm building my deck of cards to make my turns better um, as opposed to kind of I'm making a card to use it this one time to do something that I need to do right then and then maybe I'll never get that card again um, but I, I actually thought that the game was cool I just I don't know if it that was my favorite implementation of the card crafting system yeah, similar to that. I think uh, there were a lot of interruptions of basically pass, 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 and maybe someone's actually playing alone sometimes because you can't play alone. You just uh, play cards after 
card, card after card after card if you have the necessary sets. So yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe it depends on the people you play with. It could probably flow better if everyone's kind of on the ball, but there is a lot of kind of passing and kind of waiting around for people to play out their sets, which wasn't super exciting. And in general, yeah, I'm just not sold on the, like, the card crafting system uh, it's kind of a little bit fiddly or sleeving cards sometimes and like oh uh, you, you tell the table like oh, I'm gonna play like three nines or something because you're like sleeving a card right there so it can kind of those things kind of break up the game I think there's also a lot of thinking later on you get a lot of these like uh, possibly like films or whatever that you can insert in cards and it just kind of like chops up the game into intervals where I feel like uh, games like this should be just kind of quick easy and not too much thinking and not too much passing somehow and that kind of there was just a lot of passing a lot of thinking a lot of just kind of chopped up gameplay um, yeah so it's, it it's, a, it's a fine game uh yeah go ahead yep oh i was just gonna tagging right onto that it you know the because you over the course of the game accumulate all these sort of clear things that you're gonna sleeve into cards sometimes you'll have a turn that you feel this is an important turn so i need to figure out if the math can work right to get you know your cards played out and so you'll sit there and just like try to do math for like four minutes and it's just kind of drags on if everybody's doing that yeah uh just in general uh, yeah kind of i want these kind of games to maybe be uh dumber so to speak just to kind of flow faster um i'm not sure if the card crafting system is really adding too much to this game um so the other game we played was actually trickster champions of time um actually not a climbing game or a trick-taking game but uh, kind of a similar kind of like play tricks type of game uh very interesting concept um i think four was kind of the minimum to play without variants and i think it's fine but i actually feel like it's uh one of those weird games where it actually works better with maybe five six i think it even goes up to seven i can't remember maybe it goes up to six um but it's kind of a higher player count game uh, I, I think it's uh, fascinating because the gameplay is actually uh, the first player plays any card, and then the second player actually plays a card which sets a pattern. Um, the theme is kind of hilarious. Basically, you're like tricksters, and you're traveling in time, and then, then there's these guardians, and you don't want the guardians to catch you, so you don't want any guardians, meaning you don't want any cards. Um, but I guess if you get a lot of guardians, you defeat them or something, because they're actually worth zero points, but it's a type of game where you're trying to avoid taking cards so speaking of which the leader so speaker plays a card and then the trickster which is the second person sets a pattern and then the whole table has to follow the pattern which the pattern could be uh same card title or same color uh, or suit or whatever or or everything different uh so like the pattern that is set if it's the same card everyone has to play the same card if it's everything different everyone has to play a different card from the previously played cards meaning title and suit and the cards also have abilities so very interesting game actually i really think the concept is very unique and i think it actually work, works pretty well it has a uh, this kind of a majorities thing as well so if you're starting to get a lot of cards which is basically negative points you can hope to get the most of a color uh, in which case they flip down and they're worth zero points which is good because the 
highest points wins, which is going to be negative points. Basically, least negative wins, I guess. Uh, but I really actually like that game. I think it's really cool. Uh, works pretty well. Um, there is kind of the only unfortunate thing about it, if there's anything unfortunate about it, is uh, reading the abilities and just kind of learning what cards do, uh, because that's uh, tricky, huh? Get it? That's <laughs> trick, trick, trickster champions of time. Uh, but yeah, the abilities are actually really powerful, and it's very important to kind of like think about sequencing your handout, because if you don't play any cards, actually, and I think the uh, round also ends when someone runs out of cards, uh, the cards you don't play join your cards on the table, which is really bad if you don't plan for it, because uh, those are negative points. So yeah, I kind of like thinking about in which sequence is your hand going to be played out, but then like maybe you need to follow a pattern where you don't want to fail and take the cards. Uh, so very cool decisions. Uh, actually, you can play kind of modularly with sets of cards, so it's not the same game every time. Um, and I think... I wish uh, we played that game more frequently because I think if you like just learn the abilities by card title, the game will flow really well. Uh, but as it is, it takes like five or ten minutes while you everyone kind of around the table just learns what the cards do, and then I think it starts working pretty well. But yeah, um, Trevor also played this, so what did you think about that one? Yeah, um, I don't have too much to add, except that um, I think probably my favorite part or one of the things i like the best about that game because uh, spoilers i thought it was a cool game uh was that you had the ability depending on which cards are are in play to manipulate the sort of the tableau that has accumulated in front of you um you know there, there's other games that have a similar mechanic to that like uh Parade or Pete Mott's, those types of games where you just you accumulate cards and then you don't get negative points for if you have the most well, of a certain Pete, color. Pete Mott's is actually positive, but yeah, Parade is the same concept. Right, yeah. So Pete Mott's, you score if you have the most. Parade, you, you, yeah. Like, uh, but basically, you're putting cards there and they're staying, right? And then scoring yeah, is different. Yeah, building out like a set collection type thing Correct, in front yeah. of you. So in this game, what I really liked is that um, the a lot of abilities on the cards allowed you to uh, tap into that card uh, accumulation in front of you and actually, you know, maybe put it back in your hand or move <laughs> or it. Or give it to someone <laughs> yeah, else. Yeah, or move it to somebody <laughs> else, which was actually really funny. Um, it, so you move it to someone else, put it in your hand, maybe swap it out with like the card market in front of you. So I thought that that was a really fresh take on that style of game and really enjoyed it. But yeah, I. I echo everything you said for the same reasons i think it's a cool game yeah the speaking of which it's not really a high take that game it does have some take that stuff like uh basically there's a card which uh lets you give a card to someone else and they give you a card back so it's kind of funny like trading uh probably the trolliest card is uh give a card to someone else's tableau basically just like dump a color that they don't want because yeah. it's a negative point on them but i think uh because everyone has those cards and the game kind of just works fine uh it doesn't feel like a really a lot of take that i think it's just fine Yep. But yeah, anyway, that's Trickster Champions of Time, and I think it's really cool. I really like it, and I'm looking forward to playing it in the future, maybe with a different card set, because uh, it kind of changes the feel of the game. Yeah, and I, I'm curious to see how it plays with more players, too. 
yeah i think it's kind of better i've played it with i think six before and we played with four and it felt it felt like it was too easy to not fail and it's kind of the fun part of the fun of the game is for someone to not be able to follow the pattern and collect all the cards and it's kind of funny in a like haha you failed kind of way yeah i guess if you're playing six cards every time you're much more likely to yeah have failures yeah because with uh, actually i think we had three didn't we or do we have four i think we yeah anyway it was too before yeah i think it was too easy in our game to follow the pattern we we almost hardly ever failed so in that case by the way the trickster collects the cards it's usually uh someone who fails collects all the cards which is bad uh otherwise it's a trickster who sets the pattern which happened a lot in our game but it worked fine it worked okay um so anyway yep that's it what did you want to talk about as far as games played well, this is a game that um, I tried to buy on eBay. Tyrants of the Underdark. <laughs> so this is a, a 2016 game designed by Peter Lee, Rodney Thompson, and Andrew Veen. Uh, this is published by Gale Force 9. It's sort of a Dungeons & Dragons deck builder. Uh, Harissa had been talking about this uh, a lot, and I think we actually talked about this when we did our deck building episode, uh, but it's basically just a really straightforward deck building game set in the Dungeons Dragons universe, uh, but with an area control component. So you're basically accumulating cards so that you can put soldiers or spies out onto the board, get majorities in different cities, and then score points, uh, hopefully throughout the game. And then at the end of the game, you also get uh, points based on the number of territories you control. And I don't know, I just thought it was fun. It's, uh, it's really, really simple. There's not a whole lot of complexity to the game, but it if you're just thinking of like your archetypal you know deck builder with just get cards to get points this is this is that game what do you think about it uh yeah i agree it's kind of very straightforward deck building um general like market type game um, I don't know if there's really anything unique about it. The only thing unique about it is that it's an area control game, and that doesn't happen frequently. Actually, I can't remember really any other game. Uh, actually, I do remember another game, uh, Path of Light and Shadow, which I still need to play after all these years. Uh, actually, our group was playing it a long time ago, and I vowed to play it with them, but for some reason they just stopped. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was really popular, and then they just completely stopped playing it. But yeah, not many games with deck building area control with a board so it kind of feels feels like clank but with area control instead of moving around and taking stuff um yeah uh, it also has decks that you kind of mix together uh so we played just like one of the decks uh they have kind of themes and one of them has a lot of like take that and uh, these curse cards um another one is heavy on guilds basically kind of playing matching cards in your hand uh they kind of have a theme yeah i think ours was like zombies or something which actually is one of the expansions which i can't remember what it does but i think it actually oh actually i think it killed a lot of the cards in the market which was unique that because was it the, ended the dragons game early. too oh dragons i had um, a lot of dragons and i ate probably like a third of the deck <laughs> 
Yeah, I think zombies actually returned a lot of cards because there was a lot of returning, uh, returned a lot of troops like units on the board. But anyway, uh, I also think uh, I really like in games like that where uh, it begins with a dummy. Um, so, like, it's not immediately fight each other from like round one even though you obviously have the option to fight each other but the board has a lot of these just kind of like neutral troops and you can just fight kind of the board for a little bit uh, until you build up forces and then you kind of start fighting each other i really think actually that's a really cool idea and a few games have done this kind of with uh, filling up the board with a neutral faction i think that's really cool but other than that yeah just kind of really straightforward effects um pretty simple to play if you played the deck building game it's just like basically second nature to uh, play it buy cards from market uh, fight some troops lots of kind of take that which comes with area controls but i think it's fine and i think it feels uh good to play yeah i've i've only played the game once um and our experience was kind of that you know two players sort of got pitted against each other and then two other players got pitted against each other and we're just kind of messing with each other the whole time and we had we didn't have those two camps overlap with each other much during the game does that does is that like your experience with this game or is that maybe a flaw in the area control deck building or what, what do you think about that well it's not designed to be a very long game so it's not like you're gonna get a lot of like the board's drastically gonna change uh actually the board does tend to be kind of static or on the static side there's not really amazing changes of epic turnarounds or like you're just gonna destroy so if you're looking for that kind of game it's probably not really gonna deliver uh it's more like a methodical go for a strategy and hopefully that strategy is the winning one and hopefully people leave you alone as well <laughs> to, so, <laughs> yeah. to, to execute it or alone enough i guess the key to um, winning any for, game be left alone <laughs> well the, actually that's kind of the key to winning a lot of fairy control games and games that take that but i think it's fine to play a lot of the ones that i obviously like um or all of the ones that i like that are fun to play uh so that doesn't really bother me but yeah you're if you're looking for actually uh, maybe blood range comes to mind because we just talked about it like some ability that like wipes up wipes out an area and replaces it with your units or like you send people somewhere or the, that doesn't tend to happen it's usually like the powerful cards are hard to buy and don't get used frequently before the game ends just by its shortness so yeah it, it is kind of static or on the static side i guess but i still enjoy playing it for what it is otherwise i think it'd be like five hours or something so i don't know if i'd enjoy it <laughs> with five hours of the way it's designed tyrants, that might be a or, bit much or it'd be a kind of ridiculously swingy and just kind of infuriating like imagine cars that are like destroy five people or return five people and you do it to someone and it's just like yeah. their game just like crashes anyway um no that's an idea actually basically take the same game and make it just ridiculously powerful and swingy i don't know that that that'd be an interesting experiment but it's not that kind of game yeah well that's tyrants of the underdark uh speaking of insane take that games uh actually before we go there i should mention that the game is out of print unfortunately i wanted to buy oh, it yeah. and i didn't and because I actually there was an issue you. there was an issue in the print run as well so i was waiting for like a reprint which never came uh the expansion had 
card backs which were like slightly lighter or something which isn't a huge deal but it did bother me enough to just kind of like hope that it was reprinted and what happened is actually there was some license issues or something so it's not even getting a reprint and it's really sad uh, i've been following all these threads on bgg about like second edition possibly and people just dreaming about a second edition which may or may not come ever uh there was a development where they renewed the basically it's based on uh, tyrants of the underdark on uh, uh D, the dungeons and dragons so they renewed some kind of a license so there is hope that now that the license is renewed hopefully they're gonna get to reprint it but i was just checking actually the the threads as we were talking about it and nothing official still so hopefully this game gets reprinted someday it's only four five years old i think came out 2016 so i don't really consider it like a super old game but yeah it's kind of out of print and people are trying to fleece on like amazon and everywhere so yeah, yeah. anyway that's I, that's the unfortunate part about it i did try to buy it from for you while we were playing uh, but that uh, eBay user did not appreciate that I offered him less than half of what he was asking. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, just yeah. a side note if you're looking to buy it, but I think it's a cool game. Anyway, I'm not sure if it's worth like buying over $100 for, but it's it's a neat deck-building concept. All right, well, I think you want to talk about a particularly painful take-that game. I'm just going to step outside the room while you talk about it. <laughs> Uh, if, yeah, if you want to go there, sure. Uh, we played also Dice Town last Thursday, or two Thursdays ago, actually. It's been a while. Uh, Dice Town is a game by Bruno Cathal, I think, right? Bruno Cathal and uh, Ludovic Mobla, something. Moblanc gosh. or something. Moblanc, yeah, that's what I'm... Uh, I should look up designers before we actually start the show. But yeah, oh yeah, it is Ludovic Moblanc, uh, which are designers which actually have a lot of really good games behind them, or um, historically. Uh, Ludovic Moblanc is like uh, Cyclades, Draftosaurus, which I don't know about that one, but like Mr. Jack, I actually like that one, Cash and Guns. Maybe it's the Ludovic Moblanc uh, influence, because it, it does... He does have some kind of lighter and more ridiculous games. Uh, but basically, uh, the game is really kind of not really that noteworthy and kind of really light. Um, all the game is is roll dice to collect these kind of poker hands with the die faces. Uh, they have uh the what is it called? The face cards or whatever, Jack, Queen, King, Ace, and um a nine and a ten they're custom dice so um cool custom dice um i don't know if trevor appreciates the word cool being used in any connection with the game <laughs> at all uh because the surprising thing is everyone really hated it uh because it has a lot of kind of take that in its uh majorities type of mechanic um i don't know i actually didn't think it was that bad it's probably definitely not the best effort of bruno cathala by any means but like as a cat as a as a game in the take that category which also by the way is kind of ridiculous that 
take that is not listed in BGG. It's listed as catch the leader. Which, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of catching the leader, I guess, because uh, there's a bunch of abilities and cards which are like take stuff from other people, take people's cards, steal people's cards, return, not return. It's basically just like steal a bunch of people's cards all the time. And um, it's only catch the leader if the people stealing are actually stealing from the leader. <laughs> well, that may, may have been a problem with our particular play of the game. Uh, but yeah, in theory, I think you should attack the leader, obviously. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell someone sometimes who's the leader, though, because the cards have uh, values and they're hidden. So you kind of have to take from someone, which is actually kind of look at their cards and take one of them uh, or look at certain amount of their cards. But anyway, uh, I thought it was actually like as a take that game, not terrible, uh, just kind of okay. But I was just really surprised that everyone like really hated it. And even uh, Brandon's game, actually, he he's the owner of the game and he's like, this game's going away. <laughs> After we finished playing it, because it was just uh, yep. just so apparently bad for everyone, which uh, like I I was kind of saying that like I'd, I'd play it again, and uh, one of the other people that we played with was like, yeah, I'll maybe play again someday. Uh, but I don't know, it's just really surprising that everyone hated it. Um, I don't know if our group is not cut out for like take that games or maybe games of that kind or maybe that game in particular route people the wrong way i don't know what happened but um just kind of a weird weird response maybe like also people need to be into poker a little bit and appreciate the poker hand building thing even though it's obviously ridiculously random um i don't know yeah what did you dare i ask what did you think about it <laughs> well i was told as a kid if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> well, I don't no. know. Um, um, no, I mean, it's... I'll just say it's it's not the game for me. Um, so, the, I mean, the steps of the game, you roll... Everybody just rolls dice, right? And you're trying to either get the same of a color or sets to like try to build a poker hand. But surprise, it's dice, so good luck getting what you need. You have to spend money to re-roll, but you spend all your money, and then it's hard to get money because the only way to get money is by getting majorities. So if you're not rolling the majorities in a certain spot, you're not getting money. Um, and then people can just like take your stuff, and that makes it harder for you to <laughs> then get <laughs> get what you need by re-rolling. Um, and then there are lots of take that cards, and if your take that cards are not directed at the appropriate people, then it just kind of feels like kicking you in the teeth when you've already fallen down and broken your hips. So, uh, yeah, yes. it just was kind of like the wrong combination of elements in a game for me. Yeah, kind of weird. Maybe people just weren't expecting a take that game and it just kind of took them by surprise or something. Uh, I should say there is actually a built-in mechanic of people who didn't win any area in the game, which is basically like either take the money or take a gold piece or take point cards or whatever. Uh, there's a mechanic where you get... Uh, Actually, those are like probably the worst take that cards is by you not winning an area. Uh, that's how you get those cards of like uh, steal someone's whatever or like instead of them winning an area, you you win the area. Those kind of uh, things. So I don't know, kind of kind of interesting, but obviously very swingy and it's designed to be just like a ridiculous kind of roll dice and laugh game. Um, definitely not to be taken seriously. Like I say, not definitely not the 
the best effort of Bruno Cathal by any means. Uh, I was actually surprised that uh, I was looking at reviews late, late, later if people really hated it. Um, I think if you approach it as like a silly, stupid game and if you enjoy rolling dice and poker, I think it's fine. Uh, what I was surprised is... Uh, the uh, Z Garcia actually rated it as like eight or something. I don't know if he like particularly yeah. likes dice rolling. Just really surprising. Trevor was saying he's a fan of Bruin Cathalo, which I can see, but just kind of really weird. Uh, but it's very. The ratings are like four, ten, two, eight. It's like all over the place because some people yeah. obviously <laughs> really hate it. Some people are like, "Oh, this was really fun." So <laughs> kind of kind of weird. Yeah, I'm that. Yeah, it's it's that game. I think I'm surprised that there's like ratings in the middle though, because it seems to me that it's the type of game yeah, it's where like love or hate or yeah, something. Yeah, you just you just have so much fun playing it, or you just hate it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like like you say, if if you go into it with that expectation and you don't mind random stacked on random with like slappy fishes stacked on top, then sure, you could you could have fun with this game. Yeah, but anyway, epic fail. I was actually joking uh, that maybe I should have bought it, but uh, uh, Brandon hated it so much he was offering it to me for 20 bucks, and I said no thanks, even though I just can't see it really hitting the table with our group (laughs) realistically. (laughs) But then again, we found out that there's a lot of games we play lately for some reason. It's out of print, apparently, and it's going for like supposedly ridiculous amounts. I don't know if that's actually selling, but I think people are like trying to sell it. Actually, I see a lot of uh, copies on the on the market, so maybe it's just like someone uh, with the only copy on eBay trying to sell it for really high or something, because I definitely see like $30 copies on the BGG market, so you should probably just buy it from the BGG market if you want to buy it. I think the only person that's going to buy that game is Z Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah or people who just kind of like uh poker and silliness maybe i don't know or if you want to get it as a gag gift or a gag <laughs> gift yeah <laughs> actually yeah that'd be kind of a mean gift of like the it's gonna make your holiday depressing for sure if i gift it to anyone <laughs> who played it last if, thursday if or you, two thursdays yeah, ago if someone gives you a dice town it means they don't like you <laughs> yeah the other weird thing is actually it has like three expansions and a promo and uh, we were joking about like exploring the depths of the expansions and stuff because obviously everyone hated it so much but just really weird like i definitely don't expect a game like that to have three expansions and a promo um it feels like it's like a one-off kind of done game and move on uh but yeah apparently i don't know maybe they thought people would be interested or something anyway yep so that's dice town it does live up to the name. That's exactly, by the way, what I expect from a game called Dice Town to, <laughs> to be. And it's fulfilled all my expectations and wildest dreams. <laughs> oh, man. I don't want to know what Dice Town dreams are like. Well, like Dice Town. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, let's move on, um, which may be our last game played. And this is sort of just a, a quick first impressions of a game called Ether Fields. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce the name. Uh, Michael Orax, or you, Orach, you might be. I think it's Orach. Orach. Um, 
and the publishers awakened realms this is a relatively new game i think kind of set in the in a weird world of alice in wonderland type kind of ethereal dark dreamland uh what what do you, how would you describe the core mechanics and and what this game is um, actually, I feel like when you said it's an RPG, I think that's exactly what it is. They've tried to replicate basically something like Heroes of Might and Magic, where uh, you walk around the map as a group of people or something, like a, a zoomed-out map where you walk between like cities or something. In this case, you actually walk between locations in this dream world, which are like train station or tower or something or prison, so like very abstract locations, and then. It zooms you into either ran random encounters, uh, which are kind of like side quests, or dreams, which are kind of like main encounters or quest encounters. So that's what I describe it as. And uh, as far as like when you start the encounter, then it plays kind of like almost like a dungeon crawler or something, because basically you just move around the map and hit hit stuff. It is yeah. kind of creative though, and I don't know if you want to go into that. Yeah, and, and the the core gameplay when you're actually you know playing the game, although I'm not sure which part of the game is the game, <laughs> uh, because oh, I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, and and I I don't want to give off the impression that I think it's bad. I think it's a cool game, uh, but it 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 is kind of strange, which is sort of par for the course with the Waking Realms games. Um, but it basically during the game play when you're doing one of these scenarios or dreams uh, or whatever you want to call it, it it's, it's a deck builder pretty much. Um, you're drawing cards and playing them and, and doing your abilities to achieve certain objectives. Um, you're kind of, it's sort of puzzly. Uh, right, because you're kind of exploring the area you're in and trying to figure something out, accomplish certain objectives, and there's different attributes on the cards in your deck that can accomplish that, and you can build certain synergies with different of those attributes to you know accomplish those objectives and i'm speaking very vague because you know we've only played it just a little bit so it is still kind of vague to me <laughs> uh but i i actually think that the the deck building and it, that kind of mechanic in this game i think works pretty well you have the ability to sort of put cards down in front of you and and uh increase your abilities and maybe engine build just a little bit um, on top of being able to use cards as a currency for other actions. So there's sort of a multi-use card thing going on here. Um, that's really it, I think, for the main gameplay. It's actually surprisingly simple. It's, it's not super complicated uh, when you actually get into playing the game. Uh, but the, the weird part comes at the in-between phase that Risa was mentioning, where you're moving around on this little map. Um, you know, if, if we're comparing it to another dungeon crawl like uh, Gloomhaven, you know, where you, you play your scenario, and then once you're done with your scenario, you'll take it apart, and, and maybe you'll read a couple of, you know, a city card to get some flavor text and, and whatnot. And then when you want to play a next scenario, you set up the next board and then you start a new scenario, right? But what this game does, which is kind of interesting and strange, and I don't, I haven't decided if I like it yet or not, this part of it, is that I think the, the game never really stops. 
right? Where you, you finish your dream and then you go immediately back to your big map and you just keep walking around. So you may play this game for four hours, do one dream and spend two hours just kind of grinding on the mini map. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of a device, device, divisive mechanic, I think, because like you say, they've made basically a mini game of traversing the locations where you have the main quests. And uh, speaking of grindy, it's not just like cards encounters or uh, uh, choose your own adventure type encounters that you encounter. You actually get these like full on mini like basically a creature spawns and you fight it. So it's like a full on like side scenario, basically. The problem is it's always the same one. So you cycle through this deck where you fight the same creature over and over and over. And we're still at the beginning of the game, so we don't know how that's going to develop, but it feels like it's kind of a weird decision to have this deck of the same creatures that you fight over and over. Uh, we might get really proficient at killing them eventually. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think there is. So. <laughs> uh, I think there is a mechanic uh, coming to remove those creatures so we don't have to fight them over and over, but that's a real weird part of the design is like uh, kind of like doing these side quests just to move around the map um, yeah kind of an interesting game altogether uh, the weakness if there's any weakness is kind of the writing there's some story reading and the writing is I think actually pretty terrible to be honest I'm definitely not impressed by the writing like style or consistency or whatever just uh, I mean the thematically we are kind of trying to figure out who we are so we don't know who we are so it's designed to kind of like confuse us maybe but that certainly doesn't make for very interesting reading when it's just a bunch of random words and like weird stuff happening because you're in a dream and like you see like weird stuff and machines flying and you just teleport spaces and hear things and whatever and it's like what the heck and why should i care basically is kind of uh but yeah I'm, uh the we the cool thing about it is uh i'm really hoping the main scenarios are creative and like don't devolve into basically fight this thing because i'm not sure if i really enjoyed the fight this thing type of uh dungeon crawlers which if it turns out that that's what it's going into i'm not going to be super impressed um the ones that we've played so far which have only been a couple have been kind of more kind of exploration and just kind of uh very kind of there's a lot of kind of abstract stuff in the game like your actions are not called like attack or something they're called like assault contact and what is it the final one it's not even move it's like not interact but anyway they have these like abstract uh, designations which i think is supposed to kind of fit the scenarios because sometimes you want to talk to someone and it's not like a fighting game where you're like fighting them or something uh you're supposed to like contact them uh so maybe contact represents talking in that sense so i think uh maybe i don't know hopefully they haven't fallen into uh, fallen prey to trying to accomplish too much with making the game too abstract and like really disconnected but uh, i like the main scenarios uh so far i'm kind of curious what they the future ones are that's kind of the draw of the game for me is i'm hoping that they're actually creative and they're not like i say just like fight this monster or something which could be bad 
Yeah, that's an interesting part of this game for me so far is that I actually think that like the aesthetic of the game and the 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 theme of the world that you're playing in is just so cool. I think the art is really good as well. The art is really, really good in general with like a lot of cards, a lot of tiles and the all the art is different and really cool, I think. Yeah, absolutely agree. And it's super evocative. It's and it, it creates a cool atmosphere, and then you get into the text of the of the like the scenario book or whatever it's having you read, and like you said, it's it's like choppy and actually like physically hard to read because of how it's written and put together. Like I think um, it's just a little bit of the text we've read thus far. I I would say probably seventy five percent of the sentences start with the word we. <laughs> Which I, is I hadn't noticed. Which is just, I mean, and maybe I'm exaggerating, being a bit hyperbolic, but that's just kind of the feeling I get. It's just it doesn't feel well written. Um, so like it, it's kind of strange where the flavor text of the game is actually detracting from the cool theme of the game. Um, but maybe that'll it'll get better. Maybe we just it's just kind of weird, and you have to get used to it, and and uh, maybe it's sort of just an acquired taste, but. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to see where this one goes because I think the game thus far is has enough redeeming qualities that it's I think worth playing a bit more. Yeah, we'll see how it develops, but yeah, that's just kind of we're just kind of getting into it. So hopefully it gets better. If not, maybe we'll just drop it and forget about it. So, Ether Fields. That's it. All right. Did you have anything else you wanted to? Nope. That's it. That's all the games played. All right. So we'll head into our topic: keep or cull. Sort of the the course we wanted to take this discussion today was sort of the lifespan of a board game uh, within the context of our each of our collections, and uh, so we'll talk about you know what what goes into the decision to buy a game, uh, and then what goes into the decision of whether to keep the game or get rid of the game, and what does that process look like so i was wondering um risto maybe you could tell us a little bit about the evolution <laughs> of risto uh, so because i've noticed this you know in myself and others and just kind of the gaming industry in general people kind of go through phases when you get into board gaming of what you buy and how much you buy of games so what what has been your sort of journey <laughs> as a as yeah, a yeah. board no, game? Yeah, I, I get it. Um, actually, I think I've previously talked about it, but it's fine. I can revisit, and maybe we should do like a background episode or something, or maybe this is it. But uh, when I got into board gaming, like a lot, actually, I went back in time through BGG and watched like a lot of reviews, and I'd go through like. Uh, not even like reviewers lists. I'd make my own lists and searches of like top 100 by mechanic and actually kind of click through games. So like uh, I spent like a lot of time uh, just searching BGG for old games, kind of games before I got into board gaming to basically just to kind of like catch up (laughs) in a way. (laughs) So kind of interesting, but yeah, so I made these kind of huge lists of games or not so huge, but kind of lists of games which I needed to uh, get kind of older games and some of them are out of print, but some of them 
weren't out of print at the time uh and yeah i was buying a lot of games like a lot of games uh some people get into the hobby kind of gradually for me it was just kind of like get all the things uh, <laughs> and then i slowed down a lot which i think tends to happen with people and now i'm just really critical of basically any game that i buy like i just kind of really look at it and um i don't really you kind of go through this honeymoon phase of like every game is awesome uh which i think might be a slogan of someone uh, from like video podcast people or uh, video reviewers actually i think it may might have been dice tower but anyway yeah there's definitely this phase of everything is awesome or every game is awesome um well almost every game i, I guess you'd say but <laughs> yeah. uh, i'm definitely <laughs> way over that phase i kind of really critically look at games and yeah some games really grab my kind of imagination and attention for some whatever reason a uh, combination of theme mechanics designers or just kind of maybe art sometimes or just maybe i just feel like playing that kind of a game uh kind of weird yeah i don't know there's kind of no rhyme or reason but generally definitely i'm not buying every game anymore just because it looks interesting or whatever uh it's all just kind of really looking at games very carefully so what what type of things um you know now sort of tip the scale for you where you pull the trigger and buy a game you know because uh, usually it's flipping was a similar coin. to yours <laughs> we just did that yesterday <laughs> yeah, yeah no actually uh sometimes I, I well i don't know that was a weird one but uh that was for llama which is a game i played just once and actually justine and matt hated it uh or just thought it was really dumb and i think it is really dumb actually it's kind of like dice town a little bit because i think it is really dumb uh but i kind of enjoyed it and i think it's supposed to be silly silly and stupid and push your luck and kind of fun um i was kind of on the fence of why i wanted to buy or that of buying it uh that's why i actually flipped the coin which was kind of hilarious i don't know i was thinking maybe if it had hadn't been heads which was buy i probably still would have bought it uh because actually the funny thing for that one in particular is because it's cheap it's kind of an exception it's only like seven dollars just silly card game and no one else wanted to buy it and for some reason i really felt like playing it uh my thinking with that one was actually we're gonna play it on thursday or maybe like at the end of a day on a monday because it's a really short like 10 15 minute game and it goes really fast um and i think it's like really low rules overhead and i kind of enjoy it so kind of the combination of all those things uh actually it feels like a, a game brandon should own but for some reason he was refusing to buy it so that's kind of why why he was it trying to happened. get you to buy it <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically like he's probably like i have enough crappy little card games <laughs> with like Kagakure yeah. and uh Gudetama and like <laughs> <laughs> that was like well, he silly, doesn't have good Anansi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he gave away uh, Gudetama. Uh, but anyway, what was the question? Actually, I went off this huge tangent on Llama. Uh, yeah. How, so, how do I buy game? Oh, yeah, what tips yeah. the scales? Uh, what tips the scales? Like I say, it's kind of really hard to tell for me because, uh, like I say, sometimes it's 
just the type of game hasn't come out for a while maybe and it feels kind of fresh maybe some new mix of mechanics that hasn't come out for a while uh, maybe a designer that i really like uh, and i just want to play their latest game sometimes actually it's like the art which attracts me to the to a game um sometimes it's unique mechanics actually uh spoilers i'm going to talk about the game with a sliding puzzle and games of the horizon which is just kind of like i don't know of any other games which have sliding puzzles like ever uh i've never played with a game as a sliding but with a sliding puzzle as a mechanic which i think is a really cool idea so i really actually kind of like innovation maybe actually that's one one thing that uh makes me want to buy a game as if i see something which i haven't seen before which isn't doesn't feel too gimmicky and ultimately actually unfortunately i think the sliding puzzle did <laughs> seem a little gimmicky <laughs> so that's why i decided yeah. against it but uh, also via apia um is uh, a game that i kind of looked at and ultimately decided against it's a game where like you push discs with a rake off of this platform and you're building the via apia which is the roman road of whatever and i think it represents you getting resources but just kind of a weird dexterity element in like kind of a euro game supposedly uh I never actually played that game. Um, I should try to find someone who has it to just try it once. But I think I like innovation a lot, among other things. That's unfortunately I can't really give a clear answer to that. Yeah, it's it's um, it's an interesting thing because you know I had a pretty similar progression to you when I got into gaming. You know, you you are introduced to one game that leads you to another, and then maybe you start watching some videos, and uh, you notice that your games. Then you are, click on the category, yep. you sort it by rank, and yeah, <laughs> anyway. and then you you just like you start to discover, and you click through things, and then you yep. go to a game store, and you're just kind of like. Uh, you know, you become enamored with the thought of, oh, I got a new game and it's going to be cool and fun to experience. And I think that's probably, you know, a lot of people could probably relate to that. Um, I, th I think, you know, my my game buying habits might be a little different than yours um, in that because it seems to me, and based on what the games I have seen you buy, is you, you do tend to look for that unique game you know something that uh that is is new and fresh or maybe hasn't done something we've seen before or just the theme is really pulling you in um my buying habits these days tend to be centered around does the game sound mechanically interesting and is it by a designer that i trust i would say are kind of two of the two of the main driving forces but you know behind whether i decide to buy a game um but i don't i don't necessarily feel like it has to do something new i just i i want it to sound like it's a cool game and it i want i don't want it to be like an exact repeat of something i already have if that makes sense yeah i've noticed you get a lot of kind of heavy euros by uh similar designers or something that's yeah yeah i i don't I don't know if I would call myself a fanboy, <laughs> but I, I do I do enjoy heavy euros, and um, I I tend to you know if I've experienced a really cool design from a designer, I'm really curious and interested in trying more of their designs. So sometimes I'll go on a kick where I'll try a game from a designer 
and then I just want to try the rest of his or her games just to see, you know, what what has this designer done? And so it's it's kind of not necessarily academic, but it's it's that's sort of the experience I look for too. Is I just I want to explore what people have made over the course of their career, and so sometimes I will just buy a game because it's made by somebody that I've you know had an interest in looking into. Yep. But anyway, actually, practically speaking, I don't know if you're going to get into it, but uh, before I buy a game also, I either try to play it nowadays online, maybe a tabletop simulator or something, or definitely watch like multiple maybe reviews on it. Or actually, I do like the Dice Tower reviews, not so much for their opinion, but for their gameplay, because I really kind of want to see what the game plays, and I can definitely make a decision and kind of a guess uh, whether I'm going to like the game. I've actually previously also, when the review is not available, I've actually read rule books for games before. Anansi was one of those cases, which actually Brandon ultimately uh, bought, but uh, I kind of encouraged it. <laughs> it, didn't <laughs> yeah. work with, it didn't work with Llama, but it worked with Anansi. Uh, but yeah, I looked, I read the rule book because there were no reviews uh, whatsoever. So I was just kind of curious about some aspects of the game and how it plays. And I got an idea of how the game plays and I thought it was uh, cool cool idea so yeah i've gone to read rule books before just uh before buying games usually i don't buy blindly unless it's by like you say a designer which i trust or the game just like visually is basically like i'm gonna like this game and usually that hasn't let me down uh there have been a couple of um i don't know if you want to talk about failures or calling or whatever am i jumping ahead or is this kind of well yeah that's actually pretty good uh pretty good transition i think so we, we've talked a lot about i mean <laughs> there's there's no one thing that makes us buy a game but you know trying to put your thumb on it we've talked about a couple but so once once a game does make its way into your collection uh what's the thought process behind leave <laughs> yeah Christo's <laughs> thought process is i keep the game forever and it's stuck with me uh but like what's the what's the thought process behind that though so what be, be behind keeping a game or maybe saying goodbye to it i don't know i tend to think of it as like a psychological problem <laughs> and i'm getting <laughs> counseling for it no i'm just kidding uh actually i don't know if i'm oh. kidding uh but yeah it is kind of a hoarding problem with board games with me because i really like actually uh, all of the games that i have with some very specific exceptions um actually one game which i bought which i thought i was gonna like because i like uh Generally, most of the mechanics in it was Carthago. Uh, it got a reprint. There was an older game by that name. Um, I actually really ended up hating it, which is... Uh, I, I, I've only gotten rid of games which I really just really, really kind of hate. Uh, or they just really let down my expectations. Even if they're average, sometimes I just keep them to give them a second chance. Um, I've kind of started thinking about getting rid of some games which are like very average... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, Carthago was an exception because I really kind of hated it, which is kind of rare, actually. Um, usually I don't have any re really strong feelings even towards like uh, relatively bad, so to speak, games or something. People might rate them a one on BGG or something. I probably wouldn't. Uh, but yeah, that's just one of the games um, lately. There haven't been many, but that's just something that I um, think about sometimes. 
<laughs> but yeah, uh, no, it's very rare for me to get rid of, the, rid of these games these days, which does make for a lot of hoarding and shelves and shelf space. So um, obviously that's another factor is like if you don't have shelf space, then basically your uh, house makes you <laughs> start get, get yeah. rid, start to get rid of games, get I guess. Unit. Uh, yeah, no, that's like uh, kind of ridiculous, I think. So I don't know. I thought you were going to say I, that might become a reality. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it might. No, the reality is I've thought about something like a library for board games. That's actually a really cool idea in theory. Um, I just kind of wish that was a thing, um, but it's not a thing, really. Uh, so anyway, yeah, but I've, I've thought about like a space for board games, which is kind of like basically the demo section of a board game store, but not quite, but anyway, that's just kind of dreams. So then you, you do really view it then as, as collecting, um, collectibles, right? So you, you buy a game and it kind of stays it yeah, I've thought about forever. that actually. Uh, yeah, th- that some people actually have said some. I've I've seen on like uh, Board Game Geek or Facebook or something. Like I I collect games just to collect them. Sometimes it's not even like to play them. Um, it doesn't bother me that I haven't played some of my games because I just like collecting them. Some people have admitted it's not it's not very common because generally people who like who. Uh, buy board games buy them to play them but i mean it it does kind of get into that area of uh, the same exact thing as someone who has a huge garage of classic cars or something and basically never drives them and they sit at like 20 miles or something in their garage which is exactly the same thing that's happening with uh, some people's board games is they just like having the thought of maybe driving them someday or like pulling them out on special occasions and just playing them. But that is there, that is an aspect of the hobby is just collecting games for sake of collecting them. And I guess I, I'm, uh, part of me is doing that. I guess, <laughs> even though generally, how many of your do, games have less than twenty miles on them? Uh, I don't know, like actually a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, uh, I do have uh, some games in shrink wrap as well, which is kind of unfortunate. But I do generally try to play my games though, so it's not like, uh, and I do have the thought of obviously playing them someday. So it's not just pure collecting, but I also do enjoy just kind of uh, buying games in the hope that I'll play them someday which is weird hoarding but anyway <laughs> yeah but it's it's good hoarding right <laughs> yeah i don't know maybe <laughs> um, um, until uh, every every room in my house is covered in shelves and then it's kind of like weird but yeah i don't know and and your your bed is just a mattress on top of shelves and <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's interesting, you know, because I, I do actually, you know, I can relate to the feeling of I like to to collect this game because, you know, I like the thought that I'll play it and it looks cool and it's, you know, it's an item that, um, you know, might be valuable someday because there's games that go out of print and then they're, you know, big hits and sought after. So maybe maybe there's that to it as well. Yeah, I should say FOMO is definitely part of it as well. Is like if I don't buy this game, it will go out of print like Tyrants of the Underdark and then maybe it will never come back in print and I'll just never play it. 
but I mean, I've kind of gotten used to the thought of like, maybe that's okay nowadays because it happens. And if you're into board games, it's going to happen to you. Like board games go out of print and maybe you can't find them anymore. Um, there are games which I've been looking for for a reasonable price for a long time. Some of them are really dumb, kind of like Pueblo actually, game by Keasley and Kramer, which came out in 2001 by Rio Grande. And it's like a stupid game of putting blocks on a board, but people are selling it for like 250 or something which is unfortunate and maybe it's okay that i'll just never play it but yeah fomo is a big driver of this hoarding obsession because like maybe if you don't buy a game it will never you'll never have it or something yeah i've actually been um trying to actively fight those impulses lately because um <laughs> yeah I mean, it's, you're running it's, out of shell space <laughs> <laughs> well that and uh, you know it's actually you know because i i recognize that um, you know, shiny new game shows up on Kickstarter or on the shelf at the game store. And my first impulse is, oh, I want to get that because I think it's cool and I might play it someday. Um, but I've actually lately even tried, it's like, okay, I, I'm pretty sure I would really like that game, but I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> Because Risto's going to buy it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the yeah. hope. No, actually, <laughs> definitely the the board game hobby is not going to like die overnight, and games are just going to stop coming out, and there's going to be a drought of games which are just yeah. Uh, I think there's always going to be good games to play. I think that's the consolation yeah. which maybe you're getting into getting yeah. to. And maybe you miss out on this one, but next year there's going to be a game that innovates on that game, and then you know it, it kind of continues on and and you know you see something similar in in you know maybe to a larger scale in video game industry where there's just games upon games upon games and some games are just forgotten and but you get newer better ones that replace them um but yeah i i take a pretty different approach to my game collection than you do um because i actually am not afraid of selling games uh, I've actually sold several games recently. Yeah, I've noticed. Um, and and so, I mean, there are some games that that it, sitting here right now, I'll tell you, will never leave my collection. That might change in a couple, you know, several years. But there there are certain games that I just think I'm never getting rid of this game. But then I'll I'll every once in a while I'll get a game and um, you know I'll play it and I'll be like, oh well, that was okay. And then I'll look at my shelf a year later and realize I never played that game again after I said it was just okay. Uh, maybe somebody would enjoy having it more than I would and it wouldn't just sit here collecting dust. And so I've actually, I've um, done a couple of things. I've, I've just like outright sold games that I think, you know, I don't, I don't think I would be sad if I never played that game again. So I'll just sell that. But then there are some games where I think I might like to play them someday. It's just, I don't think I'm going to be the one that's going to want to get it to the table. So I'll try to find somebody who I know that would appreciate having it. Um, one, one good example is zombie side. Um, I probably am not going to be the one ever to suggest playing that game just because it's not the style of the game. I, I enjoy playing a lot anymore, but I do have some family members that love it. So I have, rehomed my zombie side games and and put give uh put them with my brother um, so basically and, you're using family members as storage yes, space yes you figured it out Genius. <laughs> my empire's growing 
Oh my gosh. It's like there's that service where you can like rent people. You can rent your own garage space out. Yeah. Kind of like Airbnb. Yeah. Mine <laughs> but is. for storage space. Yeah. Mine is the reverse of that. I just uh, sneak my way into your shelves and, and put my board game collection there. Um, yeah. No, but yeah, like I, I, I do look at my games and uh, um, when uh, I do this more when I, when my shelves are, you know, full to bursting and i i think well i'm probably going to be getting some more games in the future are there any of these games that i don't care to own anymore and then that's when i'll start to put games on the chopping block and maybe consider selling them or gifting them to somebody because i do gift my games sometimes to you know people who who would just appreciate them more because i do i do think that games should be played um they don't have to be played all the time, but um, yeah, I just think that uh, if there's somebody out there that would enjoy a game that I don't care to have, maybe it's maybe it's a good sign for me to just kind of get rid of it. Yeah, I actually had a thought earlier, but I forgot what it is, so I don't know. Um, yeah, any questions? <laughs> oh, I did have a thought. Uh, the worst thing that actually happens with uh, collecting games is the latest trend of uh, big box comes out or something, which has oh, happened yeah. with a few games. Which, uh, again, spoilers, I have a game on the Horizon game, which uh, actually is a success story because I don't have the old edition because I couldn't find it. <laughs> so, so the rare case of me not having a game and then it coming back in print and like I'm actually going to probably get it. Uh, which usually happens the other way is I do have the older copy, which I probably haven't played before, but the new edition already comes out. So you're kind of like, well, do I want to sell my old copy, which I've never played and like get the new edition? And sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, I don't know. Uh, but it's kind of, kind of weird with editions. I really hate kind of editions. I wish games had just one edition. Um, but there's a trend lately with, uh, so that's also another hope is I guess if you never bought a board game, maybe just be patient and a big box will come out and you can get it. Yeah, uh, sometimes, a, <laughs> sometimes yes, sometimes no. There's a pro buying tip for you. Never buy a new game. Wait a couple <laughs> years for the new edition. <laughs> yeah. And it'll come well, with all the expansions. Uh, hopefully it's more than a couple of years because that's a little bit ridiculous actually I think the fastest one was uh, maybe Great Western Trail and actually maybe that's why it's on wish list is I think it's only like four years old or something and it's already getting a second edition or something anyway yeah it's like four or five uh, usually, years I think Usually it's happening to games which are like 10 or more years old. They get like an anniversary. It used to be anniversary editions. Now it's turning into like a big box or something. So, yeah. Uh, so usually it's like a 10-year anniversary is what I'm... Or like Grail Games is reprinting old games from like the two, early 2000s, which no one has anymore. Um so yeah, anyway, um, uh, no, if you like a game and you're about to play it, obviously I think that's a pretty good indication that you should buy it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, that's an interesting discussion of uh, the evolution of, you know, buy everything in the world at first when you're a new gamer to you kind of discover your own tastes and then uh, some of us keep our games forever and 
you build a house of board games <laughs> and some of us are forced to say goodbye to games uh and some people actually i've listened to um you know some other podcasts and talked to people that actually kind of aggressively cull their collections you know they they basically say i cannot have a game that is basically the same as another game so yeah no that's really difficult for me but i have heard of yes uh that idea of basically kind of really thinking hard about when a new game comes out like for example this game is doing worker placement why should i have two worker placement games if i enjoy the latest one so like get let's get rid of all the other worker placement games because the latest one or whichever one is the best one of this kind uh that's really difficult for me because i feel like games have like different feels and i sometimes like the art of some particular game and whatever and it's not all about mechanics but there is a thought of kind of like do i need 15 worker placement games or something you know what i mean uh that's yeah. a thought of some people but i don't know it's hard, hard actually, for me to really think that way yeah in that same vein i'm curious your thoughts on this i've actually heard of you know i've, I've listened to you and, and read people's stories online of um how they actually will sort of you know aggressively cull their collection but then they justify it saying like well if i want this i'll just buy it again later and so there's actually uh, kind of, there's actually a, a subsect <laughs> that's of, basically of, uh, you don't people. have enough shell space i think because like you would just keep yeah. it if it's like at that point where it's like oh i'm not sure if i should get rid of this yeah i've 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 seen uh like youtube shows and podcasts where somebody will have bought a game enjoyed it sold it and then bought it again later and then maybe even sold it again. Um, and that just kind of doesn't make sense to me. I think if I sell a game, I'm, I'm saying goodbye to that game <laughs> and, yeah, and maybe. not going to rebuy it. That's an interesting uh, approach. Definitely not my approach, but yeah, just think of board games as like just constant flow of games in and out. And like, you just, or not really it sounds like you're not really attached to anything you just anytime you can get rid of any game for any reason so whatever yeah yeah maybe and like I you said know. i think it's probably motivated a lot in those circumstances by uh storage capacity you know how many games can you feasibly have where yeah. you live and if you're not paying for a storage locker <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah, that's our uh, that's our discussion for today. Keep or cull? I think uh, Haristo's response to that question is keep, and uh, yeah. my response is keep but cull sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a definitely a very individual decision. I'm not saying what anyone is doing is really right or wrong. It's just whatever you want to do. Uh, keeping a really small focus collection really works for some people. I enjoy having a lot of choice. Um, actually, that also comes down to like, you enjoy playing the same game over and over again. And I really like variety. Actually, that's one of, one of the things I really like in board games. A lot of people will just buy one game and play like the crap out of it. And they don't mind that. And they enjoy that. Uh, they'll play it like 30 times in a row or something. And yeah, if you've played a game 30 times in a row and you're basically done with it, I can definitely see you getting rid of it. So it's it, there's a lot of kind of variables mixed into this. So Yeah, that's yeah. a good point that uh, what you enjoy doing with the games is, you know, that's a big impact on what you buy. And that, that's pretty reflective of my habits as well. You know, I, I do like to experience new things frequently, but I also 
like going back and playing games over and over, which is why I, or, or at least having the option to do that, which is why I keep a good number of the games I buy. But uh, yeah. So hoarding is okay sometimes. <laughs> wow. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on and talk about some games on our horizon. I guess I can uh, start talking about games on my horizon. I already kind of alluded to a couple. The one with the innovative mechanic is called Tiny Turbo Cars. Uh, sounds really dumb, and actually it kind of is, but uh, the game is about racing tiny radio-controlled cars. I guess, I don't know if they were really popular in the US, but I, th I remember in, a Euro in Europe there was a trend of these kind of like pocket-sized uh, RC cars with tiny remotes, and I think that's what they're trying to replicate because it's a race across a bunch of tracks which represent a room with things like carpet and toys and books and like water hazards and whatever. Um, and you're racing your tiny RC cars across the room. Uh, that's kind of the theme of the game. Uh, it was on Kickstarter. It actually just finished today. I really kind of struggled with this one because it's a really cool concept, I think. Uh, that's the game with the sliding puzzles. Your remotes are actually these uh, sliding puzzles, which look like actually remotes for RC cars um, and you're holding them in your hands and the mechanic is uh, programming. Um, so instead of numbers, like sliding puzzles have like either a number or some kind of a picture or something that you're trying to make, they actually have commands on them. Uh, things like uh, move left, move right, move fast forward. There's a shooting mechanic where you can just shoot in a straight line. Uh, so kind of like, it sounds like the chaos of something like Robo Rally or just one of these programming games with a sliding puzzle and a timing element where uh, you look at the boards and you're trying to like slide the commands in the correct order and they execute left to right the second and third row of the four rows if you imagine a sliding puzzle like 16 16 squares so you get eight commands um, if you did it correctly <laughs> uh, because the mechanic is when you're done you take a marker and the last second to last person who is done uh, counts down from 10 to 0 basically putting pressure on the last player who is like struggling to <laughs> make their uh, sliding puzzle match um, and then you go in the order of finishing uh, and that's where you kind of want to finish quickly because you want to go first so you have predictability otherwise people might be in the way and you might get commands which don't really execute the way you expect to and just kind of chaos and uh, I'm guessing it's going to be hilariously kind of chaotic at that point uh, but like I say really cool concept the art is really good the price was kind of high that's actually ultimately why I probably decided to skip it um, yeah the, the exclusives weren't really there for me um, I don't know, but like really, really cool concept, really kind of innovative. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to playing it because I'm hoping, I don't know, maybe at the convention or something I can experience it because I think I will actually really like the game. It's kind of unfortunate that I um, the price was a little bit too high for what it is. Uh, that's Tiny Turbo Cars. Uh, the game which is getting a reprint, uh, which 
is an old game which is out of print, which I never bought, and that's the success story. It's called Fjord. Uh, Fjord is a really light tiling game, uh, kind of clever. I can't remember who the me- uh, the mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds, sounds kind of funny, but yeah, I guess he is kind of the mechanic. Uh, the designer is uh, what I meant. I think actually the designer is someone who I like. There's actually a game from 1982, and that is not the correct game. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I think it's called Fjords. Many Fjords, not just one Fjord. Um, actually, the designer is someone I've never heard of before. Uh, he's Franz Beno. The long, the long e, the long uh, <laughs> container. Yeah. Wow, container. What? That's crazy. Uh, yeah, apparently he's designed container, which I really uh, like. Uh, games like Trans America. This is actually a designer I've never really looked into. Um, but uh, kind of maybe one of his first games is getting a reprint. 2005, it was long out of print. Uh, this is one of the games when I was actually getting into the hobby when I was kind of looking around cool games. Uh, kind of a little bit abstract telling game. It looked really exciting. And it's coming on Kickstarter. So uh, maybe that actually indicates that Pueblo might get a reprint someday because that's definitely a game I did not expect to see a reprint of. But yeah, I think it's launching in a couple of days. So I'm pretty sure I'm probably going to get that one. Uh, pretty sure, probably. <laughs> uh, we'll see. But uh, I'll fjords, it when I see it. <laughs> fjords, it's many fjords. It's not just one fjord. I had the title wrong. Uh, so the other game I looked at recently was Royal Visit. Um, that game looks really cool uh, to me. It's Reiner Knizia, which... Uh, I was telling Trevor doesn't really mean much to me because he just publishes so many games and basically kind of who cares. Actually, I'm looking at the reviews. They're not very good, but the game sounded really interesting to me. Um, I think they rethemed it and reprinted it. It used to be called something else. And uh, it's kind of a tug of war game, two player only, really short. Um, and you're playing sets of cards to move these pieces towards your side of the board. It has some kind of clever interactions between the pieces. Um, and I think some kind of timing elements where you can do big moves, but you should probably time them to be done at the correct time. Uh, so what I'm saying is the game looks really simple, but it's hopefully not that simple. Um, and um, I actually uh, really like the trend of having cloth boards. It has a cloth board, which I think is a really cool trend. Mandala is actually another game which I played with a cloth board. And uh, some people don't really like that. I think it's actually really cool because it uh, kind of enables large boards to be stored in tiny boxes. Um, and That's I don't why really you like Pax Vermeer, right? Uh, yeah, Pax Premier's best game ever. No, Pax Premier <laughs> actually has a, I don't know, if the, that definitely is the reason that is a cloth board is not size, I'm pretty sure, because it's just kind of tiny. I think it's more style. Uh, but uh, also the art is really cool is one thing that I really liked about Royal Visit. That's what uh, made me kind of look at it and just the name of, name of Reiner Knizia. I'm always curious what he's doing. Kind of a lighter game. It's published by Yellow, but um, I'll 
probably play it someday. And uh, we kind of touched on this, but I bought Llama, which I'm really looking forward to playing, even though some people may not like it and boo to them because I think it's a fun little <laughs> silly push your luck game. So that's my games on the horizon. Uh, the game with the tug of war two players was Royal Visit. I think it was called something like Welcome to the Club or something, and it was about attracting people to get into a nightclub or something. Or anyway, I can't remember the old version. This version is you're trying to attract the king to visit your side of the board or your uh, castle or whatever. So you're pushing a king around and a jester and the wizard and his two guards. So anyway, yep. Cool. Yeah, those games all sound uh, interesting, except for Llama. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, well, you'll experience Llama, I'm pretty yes, sure, just because yes. it's so short. Yes, I'm sure I will. No, it with, sounds, with, those sound like some fun games. Whether you like it or not, I don't know. Or care, but <laughs> <laughs> I like it anyway. Yeah, no, it'll be good to, to try those out. Um, so I've just got two things on my horizon uh, for this week. The first is actually um, the newest set of expansions for Everdell. Did you know there were more coming? Oh, yeah, I actually heard about it. I'm actively trying to basically avoid everything <laughs> that has to do with Everdell. So I'm, I'm sad that you're looking forward to it. Yeah, I actually, I mean, maybe I'm the only one in the group, but I actually enjoy the game. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there's there's one there's a game that's been on my shelf that I haven't played in a long time. Uh oh, am I gonna sell it soon? <laughs> um, I actually saw someone selling it, and apparently there's also a tree. I don't know if you've seen. There's a, a wooden tree. Uh, I don't know if it's a. They basically had a custom tree. That's what yeah, they said. I don't I've know if it's part only, of a Kickstarter thing, but I, I've not only seen it, from. but I have it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know they sold it. It uh, they sold it. It's like a wooden tree that replaces yeah. the the cardboard one. And they sold because I think the cardboard one was pretty fail. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy they did that. That's why I got the wood one. Is because the cardboard one, if you play the game a lot, can just like fall apart. But surprise, I haven't played the game a ton, so my tree's not falling apart. Um, but anyway, yeah, they sold that as part of the Kickstarter as like an add-on super cheap not not super expensive but anyway the this newest expansion is just going to add some more stuff uh <laughs> it's uh adding in some uh different type of farm cards that uh you know give more choices and change based on the season i guess there's now a train station uh which includes um some station cards that are kind of like that the meadow where you can buy cards from um but there's a bonuses associated with buying the card so it's kind of i guess adding more options there's visitor cards which seems kind of like contract fulfillment uh one of the spaces actually that i'm kind of looking forward to seeing how it goes in the game is there's a spot on a board that actually helps you cycle the card market which i think was kind of a problem in the base game if uh you know, if just a bunch of trash cards were stuck in the market, I think generally uh, market cycling is a good idea. Um, and then they're adding an expansion that kind of maybe bolsters the two-player game a bit. So that might be kind of my only option is <laughs> playing this two-player with my wife or something. Um, I, I think the game's neat, and, and I think I've mentioned this before. I like the theme 
um, because it kind of is nostalgic back to sort of the days when I read all the Redwall books when I was younger. So uh, the theme is cool for me. The gameplay is pretty decent. So I'm looking forward to just trying out the new expansion and see if, if they make the game even better. But, you know, I, I'm not expecting this to be like earth shattering or anything. It's just kind of more stuff for Everdale. Uh, it's based on a book series or something. I didn't think it was based on anything. In oh, particular. no, it's not. But it's like everybody kind of, I mean, do you, are you familiar with the Redwall books? Uh, unfortunately, no. I okay, didn't grow so up around here. So it, I don't know if it's part of like the school curriculum, curriculum or something. No, I think the author was actually from the UK. Um, but anyway, it's just a book of like woodland creatures, sort of anthropomorphic, I guess, woodland yeah, yeah. creature stories and, and that type of stuff. So, it, and it's like accessible to younger readers. Um, yep. So it's just, you know, that kind of things. And so this, this game is set in a woodland realm where it's just like creatures are your, are the people you're playing as. And so it's, it's, it just kind of evokes that type of uh, that that type of feeling, but it's not not at all like based on it's not the same IP or anything. Um, but actually, one thing I wanted to bring up that's kind of funny about the uh, this Kickstarter is that this is sort of I think their last hurrah and it's the final Kickstarter. And so part of this Kickstarter, you can actually buy the big box to fit everything. Um, or you can actually in this one buy the complete pledge for 200 bucks and get everything to date, which is less money than it would have costed to get everything to date. So it's kind of funny to, if, if you've seen this lately in um, like on online marketplaces, there's tons of people trying to uh, like offload their Everdell stuff um for prices that people are just laughing at because they're like well i could just hop over to the kickstarter and buy the whole thing plus new expansions for what you're selling part of (laughs) part of the game for so that's been kind of funny to see unfold and i've seen like moderators on those on those online forums just kind of like disabling comments because people are starting to get a little rude to each other yeah usually it's actually the opposite so that's very interesting and actually kind of good so i wish that was the case with a lot of kickstarters um but that's actually why i kind of dislike simon because it's exactly the opposite they all it's like becomes really rare and i feel like they don't even want to reprint anyway uh actually everdell is a kind of a success story of uh this idaho i think uh family who were inspired by actually race for the galaxy i think playing a lot of race for the galaxy to make a game like it uh unfortunately i don't have anything guess the game i'd play it someday i just feel like pretty average about it um it just unfortunately reminds me of exactly kind of race for the galaxy or 51st state and i'd rather play those games that's just my personal opinion about everdell in particular but it's it's fine it's yeah, it's not it's not a bad game at all yeah everdell's similar to those games except that it's more restrictive i think is probably what you don't like yeah. about it as much and also like worker placement it's kind of just slower and more kind of less explosive and more methodical which is fine i guess and it has just like more stuff especially with the expansions it's not really i don't know uh, not not i guess it's still about the cards in your tableau but there's just kind of worker placement and other mechanics and it's fine it's it's an okay game it's just not as focused on like cards as much anymore i think even yeah. though cards are definitely huge driving main main driving mechanic in the yeah. game. Yeah, 
sometime I'll, I'll show you some of the newer expansions that add newer types of cards and actually a little more engine building and, and stuff. It, I think, oh. makes the game better. So, um, But, yeah, the base game is definitely what you said. Um, the other game I'm looking forward to is uh, one I actually just got uh, called speaking of <laughs> buying games uh it's called venice it's uh designed by andre novak and david Turtsy, uh published by Braincrack games this is a f- i guess a follow-up of sorts in the same universe as ragusa uh is what what some people are saying but it's not the same designer and it's it's not so and i haven't played ragusa so maybe you can tell me after we play it but uh basically in this game um you are playing as uh basically merchants riding gondolas around the city of venice in the canals and you're like dropping your assistants off at different businesses. Um, And uh, there's this kind of cool mechanic where you drop your assistant off at a business and and the more assistants that get dropped off at that business, actually you'd start to cycle around inside the business. And so there might be some type of, um, you know, like worker, I don't know that's worker placement because I think when you put your assistant there, he kind of stays there for the rest of the game. But the, every time your gondola passes the building where you have assistance, you get to activate buildings. And so you maybe get better actions the longer your, uh, your assistants stay inside these buildings. And then there's sort of this uh, game of where do you sail your gondola because you can't like retrace uh, the same course in the same turn. So you kind of have to pick a uh, path to sail your boat around. And um, if you, pass your gondola along uh, alongside another player you start to like maybe get bad attention um i, I thought you were gonna say you start combat and then you roll dice <laughs> yeah no you start combat <laughs> which would be hilarious <laughs> in that type of game it just yeah. looks very like brown and euro and yeah it's actually brown because it's the rooftops of venice so i guess yes. it's thematic but i'm actually not super impressed about the art but the game looks cool actually i like the it looks like kind of pick up and deliver and yeah, maybe no, like d- uh, engine engine pick up and deliver stuff exactly I was just about to say it has uh, maybe a pickup and deliver and contract fulfillment type mechanic. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, I, obviously I, I bought it without playing it, so I'm pretty excited to play it. But uh, I think uh, I think it's going to be a cool one. And I, I do like David Turtsy as a designer. So that's kind of what prompted me to, to jump into the deep end without having played it. And so, uh, yeah, looking forward to Venice. Actually, what looks really cool to me is that it doesn't look extremely complicated, which he kind of tends to make. It looks kind of like a more simple game, which I don't mind once in a while, but still kind of like Euro concepts. Uh, so hopefully it's going to be good. Yeah, I'm expecting this to be decent, at least, I hope. Actually, I think they might say it's because it's like Ragusa because the box art I don't know if that's the same publisher, but the box art, like with the corners and everything, looks exactly right, yeah. like Ragusa. Well, then if you so look strange. at one of the images on the main page... And the font page, as well, I think. Yeah, if, if you go to the BGG page and 
one of the images actually has Ragusa. It's like at a convention and it has Ragusa on a banner behind it. <laughs> so Yeah, they're not the same publisher. So like, what the heck? How- yeah. Oh, it is the same publisher as Braincrack Games. So yeah. maybe uh, they're starting like a kind of like a trend or something of arts on their games being similar, maybe. Yeah, so I, I don't, I haven't played Ragusa, so I'm not sure, um, you know, what, if anything ties these two games together, um, but they seem to be kind of in a series, maybe. The artist actually is the same, <laughs> is that, that, which, that's the one. It <laughs> totally makes sense. So the yeah. artist and the publisher ties them together. That's yep, there you go. <laughs> I yeah. guess the weight as well, but yeah, they don't look mechanically similar, similar whatsoever. So yeah, because yeah. uh, Ragusa was Fabio Lupiano, right? Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so uh, TBD on how they're similar, but uh, yeah, Venice looks fun, and I'm 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 really looking forward to trying it. Cool. All right, so that's uh, it for my games. Play, games on the horizon. Any uh, any other mentions for you? Nope, that's it. I think uh, that's the podcast. So we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Cards and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble Rabble Rabble, a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, Cards and Cubes podcast at gmail.com or visit our website www.cardsandcubes.com We'd like to thank Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more of Kirsten's art on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E We'd also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and thank all of you for listening and we will return in a couple of weeks.